Hello and welcome to a special Perusia podcast. We are here with a good friend of ours. I'm Shabarash, your host, and Salwa, my co-host. Hello, Salwa. Hi, Shabi. Good to see you. Yeah, good to see you again, too. Yeah, absolutely. It's been <laughs> uh, yeah very interesting times. Um, but today's a special show um, we wanted to do, uh, um, and we know that Western Australia at the moment um, is facing uh, laws that are going to request priests to break the seal of confession. Yes. Um, and so we've got someone who is speaking out now, a good friend of ours who uh, is no stranger to EWTN um, or Perusia, and he um, is speaking and really running a campaign to really fight this. Um, and he says that the seal of confession gave him that confidence and that, that um, I, I guess, that peace of mind that he could open up to a priest and that helped him heal himself. Mm, he's, so not alone, he's not alone either. No, Every well, survivor of abuse feels exactly the same and James is really speaking on behalf of all survivors I think so I believe and Archbishop Costello just to begin the, the talk with James Archbishop Costello started this by speaking out against um, mm. the government there and actually saying something writing to them and that's what's mm. uh, triggered the reaction of the public well, what which are is we? wonderful well let's cross to his he's joining us live right now um James Parker from Perth. Hello, James. How are you going? I'm very good, thank you. It's good to be with both of you. Good to see you, Charbel. Good to see you, Salwa. Morning, James. Thank Welcome. you for joining us. Um, you have been very busy. Um, tell us a bit about um, the latest situation over in Perth now. Well, in some way, uh, you're right, I have been very busy. Got a little bit of quiet time at the moment because what's happened is that uh, about a month or so ago, uh, the upper house here in our state parliament in Western Australia um, received a bill uh, that uh, was looking at the whole area of child protection. We're really celebrating the fact that, you know, we're all into child protection. Uh, we long for the best for every single child. But there was one particular clause in that bill which talked about the fact that uh, it was talking about mandatory reporting for people of religious ministry and very specifically was targeted, of course, at any church that has formalised confession. Well, you're talking really the Catholic Church, the Orthodox Church, those, um, you know, the different sort of Eastern rites, etc. Um, and it was basically saying that it, any mention at all by any had to be mandatorily reported to the statutory authorities. But of course, in reality, that means that um, uh, every survivor that goes towards the confessional that the priests would be you know, obligated by law to have to report the fact that that was mentioned. Well, perpetrators don't go to the confessional. And of course, the desire of the government is to be able to reduce child, um, uh, any form of child sexual abuse. But in reality, what happens is this is, if survivors don't begin their healing journey and continue that, then the possibility of having a sufficiently strong and robust survivor doesn't take place, which means you don't actually have future witnesses should a case go to court, or in fact, should a survivor wish to face their own perpetrator and say, you've got to stop this behavior, otherwise I'm going to cause you trouble, whatever. So the long and short of it is this is it went to it went through the lower house of parliament, they passed it without question, and then it went to the upper house. And we only really discovered this when it, as it went to the upper house. Uh, and then myself, I, I run a, a number of different groups of survivors here in Western Australia. In our discussions, we began to realize that actually many of us visit the confessional, Catholics, non-Catholics, Orthodox, non-Orthodox. Mm -hmm. And in some cases, even non-Christians go 
And the big question we have to ask is, why would they go there? And the answer is, is because it is an absolutely watertight, safe place where people behind a grill can remain anonymous. There is no cost to going. The survivor at last has some control, whereas previously as a child or even if they've been a vulnerable adult, their lives have been controlled. But here they decide how much time they want to spend. There's no records made. And they also know that their anonymity is absolutely watertight as well. So that's part of the battle that we've been under. Um, so five of us basically got together. We made some uh, anonymous videos and we began to share our stories about how the confessional was imperative to, in some cases, literally saving our lives. And if not just saving our lives, but actually permitting healing to happen in our lives as well. So that's a little bit of a background about where we've been at. That, that um, we, the uh, upper house said, wait a minute, we can't pass this law. We need to refer this to something called a legislation committee. So it was referred to a legislation committee and we were given just over two weeks to be able to respond to that. So you're right, I have been working hard and the submissions closed last Friday. So now we're waiting for the committee to meet and for a report to be written for the upper house. But we are hopeful, we're very hopeful because we don't know of a time before when survivors have spoken up and spoken out about this. James, can I ask you, do you know if uh, Parliament made any attempt to speak to psychologists regarding uh, exposure therapy, for example, which is what this, what confession provides for victims and survivors of abuse, that exposure therapy where they are allowed to speak and express their fears and their past traumas um, in private and in confidence so that their fear is mitigated. So has Parliament even looked at that aspect of the victim? No, no. And, and look, at, and, and it, it, this could very much feel like a bit of a, 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 a Parliament bashing exercise, and that's certainly not what we want to do. What we want to do, of course, we want to work hand in hand with Parliament so that the, the best can happen for everybody. And, and we're realizing this is that to some extent, I mean, the topic of child sexual abuse is a very difficult topic. You know, we know in the church, it's hard for us to face this outside of the church. It's even more hard to face it. Let's be honest. Um, but I think that parliamentarians need to to they need waking up and shaking up really or shaking up so they could wake up uh, to this to to the effects of sexual abuse. And for people who are watching who perhaps aren't aware of it even, you know, the, of course, the Royal Commission uh, into Child Sexual Abuse in Institutions in Australia, that only covered historical abuse in institutions. You know, the, the challenge we have now is that, um, is that there's a sense among parliamentarians that the final report and the recommendations that came out from that Royal Commission become a, a benchmark or become a template for, for best practice in Australia. But that fails to recognise that, I mean, it's estimated that probably 80% of abuse is outside of institutions. And abuse in the family is very, very different ballgame. And as you rightly say there, Salwa, exposure therapy or the need for a survivor to go somewhere and they know categorically that nobody's going to share their abuse with anybody else. If, if, if you can't offer that to a survivor, often they can't begin to step into the healing process. And that, of course, means, I mean, this is a, perhaps this is perhaps a good way of saying it, but it, it's a burden then for taxpayer. But really, who cares about a burden the taxpayer? This is about the well-being of people who've already been controlled and had some of their lives crushed. I think the, I think the um, upside is that 
in defence of the, of people who think that this is a good idea to force mm. priests to speak, in defence of them, I think it's only because they're not aware that statistically it's the majority of abuse victims that go to the confessional, not the perpetrators, not the pedophiles, and they don't realise that the they're really just hurting the majority that are attending the confessional. They're not helping um, the court system and they're not bringing pedophiles to justice by that's doing right. this. That's right. And, of course, what what is what's in some way quite careless, and this is where our concerns have been, to pass a law to say that you will now, you're going, you're going to want to police the confessional means suddenly you're saying to every perpetrator, hey, guess what? If you come near the confessional, you're going to be reported to the police. So what does that do? It means that no perpetrator would go anywhere near the confessional anyway. Now, if there had been prior mm. consultation, it could have happened where the priest could have said, look, if you bring in a policing, you're going to lose the very people who might on a very, very rare occasion come to us and we can learn to begin to walk with them in a very private situation and we can begin to see whether or not there's an opportunity here for us to be able to use this as an opportunity for reform. In other words, we can talk to them and say, you know, if you are truly repentant, then what happens is you will face your past. And actually, we will face this with you because it's really important that you do this before God and before man. So what happens now is that opportunity has been lost. But even more so, and this is where the carelessness has come in, is I am seeing day in, day out at the moment, an increase in anxiety and a decrease in mental well-being of many survivors who have been dependent upon the confessional for a place to be able to talk about their abuse. And of course, because people don't talk about what happens in confession, and certainly priests never do because they're not permitted to, they lose their vocation. And, you know, this is a massive issue, of course. But um, so the very fact that we have just a few survivors here in Western Australia that have begun to speak up means that and, and I'm realizing also from having spoken out about this in the last few weeks, there are many other people from across our own nation, but also internationally who are starting to say, well, that's my story as well. I just didn't realize other people went to the confessional with their, with their abuse. But then they're also saying, well, it makes total sense. Because when you understand the complexity of what happens in abusive situations, somebody is groomed into isolation, and then they are literally totally and utterly controlled mentally, physically, spiritually, across mm -hmm. the board. It's really, really important that we provide a healthy place um, where people can come and they can feel sufficiently safe. So the grill is important, often the confessional. The fact that we now have glass panel doors, so people know that people outside can see them inside, so they're not exposed. These are really, really important things. And the church has worked long and hard to be able to make these changes. And there's no other institution across Australia that has worked as hard as the Catholic Church has and so successfully to see safeguarding brought in, to make sure the confessional is a safe place, to ensure that children have access to a priest that's not even in the confessional box. Many priests today will do confession with children outside of the box if need be. And yes, they'll build us some form of screen, but it means the child just feels as though they're in a massive open space and it's really, really safe. These are really good points. And our belief is, is that any government should build on these good points rather than just um, come in and look at historical things. And of course, for many people, they look at movies and they've got this sort of, you know, this sort of shocking understanding of what the confession is about. And they have no understanding of theology, 
and they've no understanding of our religious practice. So there's a lot that we can now teach the government. Yeah, mm-hmm. and also, um, James, um, the confessional is a spiritual rehab. Like any pedophile that w- was to go to confession um, would not even be absolved unless they were to report or to mm-hmm. go to um, uh, accuse themselves. Isn't that right, James? Like unless they're repentant and they go to the proper authority. Well, I mean, ultimately, we have a penance, and and that's part and parcel of the confessional process. And, um, you know, with with a crime, it's important that a crime is reported to the police. And so in this case, we're talking about a crime. Um, Regrettably, I think the government feels it has power to um, interfere in an area that deals with sin and with souls. Now, of course, the church does have an opportunity to speak into crime. And it says render unto Caesar that which belongs to Caesar. So, you know, we've got to pay our taxes. We've got to be people above the law. We can't work below the law and expect to get away with that. So, yes, Saul, you're right. Um, there's a sense, It's called conditional absolution. You know, you want to be fully absolved of your sins. Then your penance is to be able to go to the statutory authorities and to report what you've done. And, uh, and, to, and to hold on to the mercy of God in the midst of all of that. And if you don't mind, this kind of brings me a little bit to my own story, because what happened is as a survivor of extensive childhood sexual abuse, I ended up finding myself in a courtroom as, as a witness against a serial paedophile. Now, um, this man himself claimed to be a Christian. I had met him a number of years, probably about 10 years beforehand, where I'd gone back to him and challenged him. I, I was abused um, uh, before puberty, but I went back to see him as an adult survivor. And, and I challenged him and he, ta- he said to me that he was repentant, but, 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 he, but he wouldn't go and face the fact that he'd abused so many children. And it came to a point whereby um, I realized that this man could still well be a risk to children. So I went to the police. But even there in the courtroom itself, what happened is I asked the judge to be merciful to him. I said, I don't want you to throw him into prison where he's likely to end up with a mindset surrounded by other people with a similar mindset that could harm him even more. But what I did ask is that he would be put onto, he would forever be on the sex offenders register, that he'd never be able to access children again, but that he would have ongoing rehabilitation. Why do I mention this? Because the mercy of God is important across the board in this. And if we're not careful, it because becomes an us and them. And certainly as a Christian, I recognize that Christ is calling all people to himself. But we do have to be serious about the areas of our life where we are hurting other people and particularly children. This cannot, cannot continue. And that's very much the message of the church today. But it's also important to some extent that we reach out with a hand of mercy wherever possible. Unfortunately, too, um, James, 80 percent of abuse victims have been assaulted by a family member and they won't be going to court. That's correct. That's right. That's correct. And, and again, this is this is where we, we need a greater conversation, a greater dialogue here in public. And parliamentarians are a key part of that. And that's why, you know, we, we haven't been quiet in wanting to challenge them. It, it, getting the balance between, in a sense, hammering somebody and saying, look, we do respect you, but you've got to listen to us is quite difficult. Mm-hmm. And this is never ad hominem. We're, we're not against individuals, etc. But we are saying to the government, you know, you're the creators of law, we pay our taxes, and therefore it really, really is important that you consult and that you consult widely to be as fully informed as possible. That hasn't happened here in Western Australia. It didn't happen in Victoria. 
It hasn't happened in Tasmania. It hasn't happened in the Australian Capital Territory. It hasn't happened in South Australia. It is, I'm hoping, beginning to happen a little bit in Queensland. Um, now what's happening, that process has been kicked off here in Western Australia. And please God, this will um, uh, kind of form a foundation or uh, a, a possible way of best practice for New South Wales if they wish to begin to start looking at this law as well. And again, we, we, we're saying that because, because it's very rare to get survivors speaking up, because so many feel very fragile and of course people who've been abused in the family they don't have a voice or they feel they don't have a voice mm -hmm. um you know there's a massive ripple effect for them i mean be beyond what many people can begin to believe and of course you know i realize too and as dramatic as it may sound is that you know as i speak up even here today i honestly do believe that i'm speaking up on behalf of those who've taken their lives and no longer have a voice and regrettably there are many people like that as well who just couldn't deal with the pain of their past abuse and felt that they needed to end it. So look, you know, there's a wider discussion that needs to take place here. I like what you were saying. This is very important because on a surface value, people, and you made the point, um, we are obliged to take uh, report any, any criminals and things like that. So we understand on that sort of superficial level, well, hang on, there's a group of people who are blocking, who are, who are refusing to report to the police. So that's, on the face value, that's what the majority of the public are hearing. That's right. what, and that's what's just getting pushed through. Oh yeah, makes sense. We should be like any citizen. But these other points that you're raising, um, th this is now creating a safe place. And and I really want to make sure this holistic um, understanding of what the confessional is. Um, it's not a place to hide people. It's a place, as you said, um, for healing, both for not only the um, maybe the victim as well. Sometimes they've got a place to, 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 to share, but also, of course, for the perpetrator and those responsible for these crimes. And, and if we take that away, what hope have we got to even a healing as for those who do believe in the confessional? Yeah. That's right. I mean, in, in, in many ways, the, the, the confessional, I mean, as, as, one, as one survivor said to me, he said, you know, he said, um, the church is my place. It's, it's where it's, it's where it's, it's hope for my soul, but it's also my soul's hospital. Now, many people might not have thought about that. Many people might not think about their soul, but the, this, this young man, he's in his mid twenties. He's coming to terms with past abuse, you know, um, and it's a real struggle for him. But what happens is, is if there's one thing that he knows he can depend on, it's God and he can depend on his faith. And that's where the sacramental life of the church comes in, because when he feels like his emotions are everywhere and he doesn't know his mind, what's going on in his mind and his body's screaming, which it sometimes can when the, some of the, the post-trauma comes up in the, in, in the physical body as well. Then what happens is he needs something to hold on to, a scaffolding that he knows will not change. The liturgy and the sacramental life of the church and the tradition and the teachings of the church bring that stability to him in such a way that Christ can walk him through the valley of the shadow of death and bring him to the verdant pastures that, that, that the Lord speaks of in Psalm 23. And so that's what, what we're looking at. We're also wanting in some way other to say to other survivors who perhaps never even considered something like the Catholic confessional, that actually this is a beautiful, life-giving place. This is a place where Jesus pours out his healing mercy. He pours out his living waters that bathe us and wash us and begin to show us that actually our true dignity is still there underneath all the effects of depravity that have happened to us so this is a good news story whatever mm. this is a good news story and we want more people to hear it on that point too 
uh, James, uh, as you know, I'm a survivor as well. I don't call myself a victim. I'm a survivor. Sure. And many, many like me have never spoken about their experiences outside of the confessional. So by the threat of removing the seal of confession or threatening the seal of confession in any way um, would push uh, vulnerable people into an abyss of darkness, mm -hmm. of desperation and despair. And I know many personally that I've helped uh, counsel and walk through their own abuse. I've helped them. Uh, some of them haven't made it. I've lost people through drugs, through suicide. Um, drugs is the main culprit. Most of them turn to ice and cocaine right. and heavy drugs mm. um, and other crime because they're so frustrated and they have nowhere to express their pain That's until right. they go to the confessional. And, of course, what happens is we, we, so we see people in pain trying to resolve their pain by looking to anything in the world to be able to somehow numb that pain that gets them into more and more trouble. And then before you know it, I mean, and this is our issue today, is our prison system is literally full of child sex abuse victims. Yes. And in some way, I use the word victims there deliberately because then they become a victim of their, the, the crimes they're committing because we have not had the dialogue that we need to have. I do believe in some way that the church has a probably, if not, if not, Anything, the strongest voice in the midst of this. And this is why, you know, it, it's a hard turnaround for us as the church. And I think particularly the laity have got a strong place here. Priests can't talk about the confessional and what happened there. Um, bishops can't talk about that. There's a sense in which because of the Royal Commission, that the church is a bad place and it's full of all these evil men. Whereas actually probably the tiniest percentage of those who are guilty our Catholic priests. For the most part, we have amazing, incredible men. I mean, the stories I have from the survivors just saying, this man literally, he listened like nobody listened. He showed empathy like nobody showed empathy. He cared for me. He encouraged me to come back. He said, you know, if you want to see me privately, we'll make a meeting, whatever happens, I am here for you. He said, and many survivors say, nobody's been there for me. There's nobody that I could trust. So literally, we are seeing miracles happening across the board. This is, this is the hand of Jesus touching the people's souls and beginning to heal them. And look, I mean, my desire would certainly be through the, uh, our small little effort here. I really believe the five videos we put together within literally 48 hours, I, I feel a little bit like they're, they're David with his little five stones, uh, you know. Uh, but it's, it's challenging. It's really challenging, something that is a scourge you know, on the horizon of our society or the horizon. So the very core of our society is this whole thing of abuse. And of course, part of our issue here in, in Western Australia is this, is there were five specific groups that um, the Royal Commission called forth for mandatory reporting. And that included youth justice workers, included um, people um, out of home um, care workers. It also included uh, school counsellors and psychologists. And it included people who work in early learning. So that's like daycare centres. Now, Western Australia is the only state or the only territory, the area in the whole of Australia where our early learning carers and workers don't have mandatory reporting. And yet the Royal Commission said these children are particularly vulnerable and they are. So to create a bill to be passed in Parliament that only looks at a tiny fragment of five groups, and the only group that's not managed by the state 
as people of religious ministry, the other four are. I mean, we've been saying, well, this reeks of, of bias and this reeks of bigotry. Now, I'm hoping it's not that, but let's be honest, on the surface, that's exactly what it looks like. And so we have to have to ask ourselves, how serious are our parliamentarians about child protection? Um, as I said already, you know, we feel that we have a responsibility as victims and survivors who have found enough of a voice and are strong enough to be able to speak out on behalf of others into this terrain. Is it just because of the tall poppy syndrome, like cut down the church because it has a, such a big standing, when in fact there are less than 2% perpetrators within religious communities? That's right. I think that's it. I think, Sal, you've hit the nail on the head there. It's, it, it's, it's, it's easy policy. Everybody knows about it. So it'll make front page news and the government will be seen to be doing something about it. But when it comes to the true protection of children and best practice, that is not happening or it will not be permitted to happen. And so literally, if we have to scream and shout, we will keep doing that because we do believe in the protection of children. So how do we help from our end? Yeah. What do yeah, we do in the what other can states? can we be doing? First of all, you can pray. You can, uh, that, goes that, that goes without saying. We are Christians and uh, we wholeheartedly hold on to the hand of God in the midst of that. And he hears the cries of our heart. Um, but I'd also like to be able to encourage other survivors if they want to come forward. Um, then we just believe that, uh, we, you know, it's not that we're looking for a movement here. But we want other survivors to know that if they've never shared their story, they can share some of their story with us. And where there's an opportunity, maybe we can use their story anonymously, um, whether that's just in writing or whether we do that through video with a silhouette and we change voices. As, and that's what we've done here in Western Australia. But we want um, more people to be able to speak out in such a way to show that, that, um, that God's hand and God's mercy and God's healing is still waiting here today. And uh, we will do everything we can to safeguard that. And we believe that, you know, the, the, the gates of hell will not prevail against us in the midst of all of this. So prayer, yes, is important, but also it's important to speak up and to witness to what God has done. But we appreciate, as we've already mentioned, Salwa, the victims, for survivors, that's often very difficult. But we hope we've found a new way to be able to do that. And that, of course, builds a whole new level of confidence and another whole layer of hope and of healing within the survivor themselves. And that's where my focus is, and that's where your focus is, is that people get well, is that our society becomes the best place it can be, and that, that God be glorified in the midst of all of this. What is that website? Um, that, that, is there a link we can point people to? People can certainly come to the, uh, to, on Facebook, we are True Identity International, it's called. Uh, true Identity is the name that we picked up because God is restoring us to our true identity. That's part and parcel of, the, of the, the wonder of following the Lord. Uh, and then also we have a channel on YouTube, again, called True Identity International. So if people type, type True Identity International into Facebook or into YouTube, they'll find that. And this has been quite a quick turnover for us. So we're in the process of, of finding other ways to engage with social media. It takes a little bit of time to build a website. So can I just ask, for those yeah. who are listening or watching this, and they're victims or survivors of abuse, and they're struggling with speaking up because they're afraid, because of the self-shame and the cycle of abuse, as we know. Yes. Um, how can you encourage them and comfort them in knowing that they will remain anonymous, but they need to speak up in order to help themselves, if nothing else? Of course, therapy is number one. Please seek therapy. 
Uh, but the confessional is our safe place, our mm. refuge, our haven. Like, what would you recommend, James, to those listening and who are afraid to write their experience or to speak about it? Well, I, I'd, I'd say this, and, and you've, you've touched on a very good point here anyway, Sawa, because even the fact that the government here asked for written submissions to go to this specialised committee from the upper house, many survivors came to me and said, I can't write a submission. I can't put my name and my phone number to, to, uh, you know, to my submission. So what happened is many of them wrote to me and I sent in a submission on behalf of the organisation and I quoted all the different people who couldn't write their own story. I, I might write, you know, 35-year-old um, European lady or a 75-year-old, you know, Australian man, whatever it might be. Um, so we began to collate some of those stories. And look, to begin with, the first thing is this, and I think, Sawa, you and I are both aware of this as survivors, that even just being able to start to talk about your story is part of the healing process. But it's important that that is spoken about in such a way that we don't feel out of control, that we know our story is respected within certain boundaries. And um, so we encourage survivors to begin to share their stories with each other. So if the survivors watching this or listening to us today, um, if they want in some way to get in touch with us through the Facebook page, um, then we're very, very happy to even begin to create a couple of Zoom calls. People's names don't need to be known. Their faces don't need to be seen. But we can start sharing our stories. And we can also discuss ways in which we can perhaps put into writing what some of our stories are on websites. There's a possibility of creating a book or an ebook, whatever, just so that we, we begin to become empowered ourselves, but we help each other to walk this healing journey by telling our stories, not just to each other, but to society as a whole. And that also provides a little bit of, um, I was going to say ammunition, but I don't mean that. I, just fodder, you know, just content, really, to be able to talk to other governments across the world. If they think that to go and to try and break the seal of confession is a way forward, we can say to them, no, we literally have hundreds of stories of people saying, do not do this. This is going to be absolutely detrimental and destructive to society as a whole, but particularly to some of the most vulnerable members of your society. And it will not, because it cannot achieve what it is that you seek to set out to do. Wow. Exactly. And just bring links, links are in there, by the yeah. way. Oh, good. The links are on. But um, just the upside of this, you know, God does turn all things unto good. Um, bringing this to the forefront, to the awareness of everyone, has already um, given a platform for survivors to speak myself included, um, other people that I know that that didn't ever speak and say that they had been a victim of abuse when I actually said I was, it gave someone confidence to say to me, so was I, and someone else, so was I. People are coming out that have been hidden for decades um, and hiding their pain. And so this is healing in itself, just being able to acknowledge that we know you struggled and we're here for you. The church is here for you. The church is not our enemy as it is made to appear to be. For me, I've always turned to the clergy. They've always been my spiritual fathers, my safe haven. Oh, like I can't express enough how close I am to the church because of that first confession, because of the mm -hmm. healing that started in that confessional that allowed me to speak with the knowledge that the priest said to me, I won't remember a thing you've said after mm. you've left. And, 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 yeah, and because we, we, we never talk about the confessional, but I mean, I, I have several really good, very close friends of mine who are priests. 
and and I've discussed, you know, some of the real sort of the sludgy stuff of my life as a result of my abuse with them. And then I've gone back to have a confession to, to have a conversation with them. Said, you know, can we chat about that thing I talked about in confessional? And um, one of them he said to me, um, "Well, I can't remember it." And I, well, no, you must remember it. You know, it's, you know, you must. He goes, "No." I said, "Ah, it's because the seal of confession." If I go back in under the seal, can we then discuss it? And he looked at me and said, James, I can't remember it. You, under, you don't understand. He said, my role isn't to sit there and to consume and remember everything people said. He said, I am calling upon the mercy of God. Yes, I am representing Christ that time. He said, but I'm interceding also for you while listening for you. He said, you don't remember these things. It's the grace that a priest is given in the place, the confessional. But of course, priests don't even talk about that either because they don't talk about the confessional because it's because it's a thing of such great honor. It's it is the it's the pearl of great price in many ways, and um, and this is why I'm particularly concerned for young children, because I know from hearing many people's stories, it wasn't it isn't that they don't they can't access a priest because children can, but they often need to become strong enough in themselves. To be able to turn around to uncle or stepbrother or whoever it is and to say stop it or i'm going to tell somebody now it takes time for a child to reach that now people might say or the statutory authorities might say well we should step in and we should deal with this i'm like ripping a person out of a family or putting all the blame onto a child where siblings would suddenly turn around and now start blaming that child why have you got dad removed why have you got brother removed why have you got uncle removed all that does is it cause greater division, which is what Satan's plan is in the first place. So this is why the priest, I believe that, that the statutory need to put money into training our priests so they can bring spirituality and our social understandings together in such a delicate way that they can really, really help very, very vulnerable children who may need to speak to them in the confessional. That across the board, I've never had survivors saying, you know, that's stupid. They say, what a great idea. But we need parliamentarians to listen. And I think that it's particularly lay Christians who have received that healing touch of Christ, as you, Salwa, as myself and, and others that we speak with have begun to receive. We, we're the ones that now need to stand up and certainly to speak up on this so that we can ensure that children get the best deal they possibly can. So tell us about Archbishop Costello. His letter, I saw it once. Um, from a friend he wrote, he wrote an incredibly long letter he's, he's a wonderful man he, he's he's very very diligent man he's archbishop costello um and he's um he's very very serious about the best protection of children um and so what happened is um the minister for child protection in western australia uh spent quite a bit of time publicly i heard her speaking publicly saying how she was going to try and push this law through i thought this will never happen because basically the church can't change its teaching but she basically publicly called him out and demanded that basically the seal of the confessional be broken, which left him with very little choice but to write to her to say, you're asking me something that I cannot, cannot do. You're actually asking me to not be the archbishop because the archbishop demands that I protect the seal of confession at all costs. Mm. Um, and so it, it seemed as though there was a little bit of a spat or a bit of an argument between the two, but really all the Archbishop was doing was just laying down the church's teaching absolutely clearly and categorically. And our role as survivors here in Western Australia has been to back up um, what he said already. So um, if it's not coming from authority, it's coming from lived experience. Um, so this is why, you know, we are, 
I say we're confident. It, let's say this, this is a bone that we've now got between our teeth and we're not going to let go of this bone because this is about child protection. And we honestly and categorically believe in the protection of children. And that is the, that's the heart cry of Archbishop Costello himself. Um, this, you know, his, his priests aren't there just for the sake of their own glory, far from it, it's the opposite. They are there to bring glory to God and to ensure that the healing power of Jesus Christ is administered to every soul that desires that healing. Catholic, Orthodox, non-Catholic, non-Christian, doesn't matter. We're saying, come, come to the living waters and drink, find hope, find healing, find restoration. Now, unfortunately, without no surprise to any of us, the mainstream media, I remember, made Archbishop Costello appear to be defying government laws by resisting. Am I correct in saying that? Is That's right. Well, I, I, regrettably, you know, our mainstream media today is, for the most part, it, it isn't exactly the Catholic Church's best friend um, and is, to the, for the most part, left-leaning. Um, so, uh, and of course, I've worked in media and communications like yourself for most of my life. And let's be honest, a good headline needs to make it look as though there's a lot more dirt underneath it, which keeps people interested, which keeps people reading. So again, there'd probably been some heavy editing or sub-editing happening just to make people read that. And sometimes what happens today is uh, it's quite easy to make out that the church isn't in touch or that the church are somehow clowns. And that's not just bishops, but priests and also lay people. And that's why we felt it's been really important as a collective to begin to speak up and to speak out and particularly to make mention of just how profound and deep our pain has been. And just about everybody that I deal with has in some way or other been entertaining suicidal ideation. And we need to say very, very clearly, this is what's going on. We need to call out the fact that we have psychiatrists who are medicating people up to their eyeballs just to try and numb pain that is not being dealt with. They're actually making situations a lot, a lot worse for people. Instead of giving people the opportunity to realize that there is one victim, ultimately, across history, and that victim is Christ. And he takes into himself the victimhood of everybody else. And to deny people the opportunity to be able to take off their victimhood and give it to Christ, that is the greatest crime of all. That's an eternal crime, not just a social or a temporal crime, certainly in my humble opinion. And as I watch people coming to understand who Christ is and what he's done for them, we begin to see people finding freedom. It's an absolutely beautiful thing. This is tough work, but by gum, the results are awesome. It's even more yeah. tougher now because the church looks like the enemy. Yeah, that's Be right. You know, I mean, not just the Cardinal Pill case, but every case before him and after him, uh, the church just looks like it's everybody's enemy and people are afraid to approach the sacraments or a priest or Huge misunderstanding out there, huge misunderstanding. And uh, we need to start getting out there, those within the church, to, to show the positive um, um, approach and the positive image that we have and, and, and the reality of how it does heal. It does offer that's a safe right, place. Right. And, and, um, and remember, it's, it's Christ in the Gospels, we see Christ touching a lot of people. And um, we forget, or maybe we forget, is that, you know, when it comes to the Eucharist and the Sacrament of Reconciliation, this is all about hands, the speaking of absolution the raising of the host. This is all about the hands of the priest and Satan hates the hands of the priest. And therefore he wants to say to the whole of society, these hands are solid, they are dirty, do not go near to them. And our hearts cry as this is, 
it doesn't matter which part of society you go to, there's going to be the odd rotten apple for another way of putting it. But for the most part, the greater part, the hands that bring us hope and bring us healing still remain the priest's hands. And as survivors, we are adamant about speaking up about that and saying to others, you know, do not, do not throw out the baby out with the bathwater in this way. Right. Exactly. You know, come forward and begin to speak up. And it is beautiful. It's lovely watching survivors finding a whole new level of the voice that was stripped from them in childhood. They're beginning to find it in adulthood. I, I'm working with a couple of teenagers and, and I'm, I'm just, I rejoice at the fact that at this stage in their life, they don't have to end up being 60, 70, 80 years of age before they find a voice. And, and they're, they're, they're saying, you know, what happened to me before puberty, I'm not letting that affect the rest of my pubescent years and my childhood, sorry, and my adulthood. Yeah. Uh, so look, God is at work. I'm just even delighted for us to have the opportunity to discuss this today, because as I say, this isn't a topic we talk about. It does feel as though the Catholic Church has got it all wrong. And it hasn't, far from it. For the most part, so much that's happening in the church is exactly what our society needs to hear. It needs to hear it loudly and it needs to hear it clearly. And that's why I'm encouraging, I want to support survivors to step up to the mark as much as we can over here in Australia. We'll help people to find a voice. And um, we hope that other countries as well will wake up to the fact that it's time to speak out. Well, how can we follow it up in our own state? You said it hasn't happened yet, say in New South Wales or in other states. Um, can we prevent this possibly, happening? Well, possibly one good way of this happening is, that, you know, it, it, it is true, as you know, Salwa, that there's a number of people will speak about their abuse in the confessional. But there's also people who speak about their abuse outside of the confessional. So just informing priests that if people have got good news stories, that they might be able to join that good news story along with the good news stories of others and begin to get sort of a groundswell happening in somewhere like New South Wales. Um, just so that should the government even begin to start proposing um, a law of this type, the survivors can speak up and say, please don't waste your time. Please don't waste your money. Please don't call us all to sit there listening to, you know, a bill going through Parliament, which is a lot of people's time and effort and money, which necessarily won't pass Parliament, because actually this is going to be detrimental to the well-being of your citizens and of the state itself. So it's nipping, uh, nipping amendments to bills in the bud before taxpayers' money and other people's time and effort is wasted. So, uh, look, you know, and I'm very ha happy to be a part of whatever that looks like. Um, maybe just to be a bit of a fulcrum and a central place to be able to kind of gather people, or there could be others there in New South Wales who've got a heart for this as they listen into what we're talking about today. So but sure. I've got this is, um, you know, we, we may need, first of all, to go to some of the priests, and if there's people who've spoken outside of the confessional, they can encourage people to come forward. Or indeed, if somebody's watching this now and, and it's uh, they can um, uh, watch it post-record, they might want to send this to a friend that they know has been abused to say look is this yeah. something that might help you along the healing process and of Very course important. as we find our voices it does help us as well please do that um, if you're watching this please do that um, please also I encourage you to go to the facebook page and the youtube channel both of, of those links are in the comments below um and and you know let's let's pray for the victims of course the survivors as we call it. and i want to thank you james for publicly coming out on the front line and, and doing this and and sharing personally about how it's helped you but on, on the other side, we also got to pray for our priests. So yeah. priests as well who are going through this and probably confused and, and, and a bit nervous. What, what, where is it going and, and um, how do we respond? Just, a, a, I guess, um, 
a very quick word as we wrap up here, but a, a quick word on what is a priest um, expected to do once they do um, uh, hear, say, uh, the, the, there's, they might have this dilemma, oh, their conscience. I'm not going to break the seal of confession, but if in the state where it's now legalized, what is their requirement? I mean, what, what is a priest to do? Um, basically, we are asking the church law, in this case, not to break the seal of confession. If it means you go to the court, you know, have we had any cases well, I mean, where... In some, in some way, you know, that, that, that is the, the, the price of our faith is that we would yeah. follow Christ and that we'd follow him to the cross. And as we've seen in the case of Cardinal Pell, if that means a time of imprisonment, then so be it. Um, it's a very bad use of taxpayers' money. It's 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 ridiculous. Um, but then what happens to some extent that ends up becoming egg on the face of those parliamentarians and uh, the governments that that wish to put forward laws that aren't fully informed because they're failing to consult. And if anything, that that I mean, some of my own survivors say the greatest crime here is the fact that parliamentarians. Um, are not doing their job properly and therefore they are being wasteful in the resources and they are actually causing more harm to people and you know to feel re-abused as an adult can feel a lot worse than a child because it's not like the first abuse it's like you have a whole new layer of abuse on top of previous abuse and that hurts not just doubly but sometimes triply and quadruply and this is the message again that we want parliamentarians to wake up to I don't think they're aware that they're causing incredible distress to some very vulnerable people. Yes, because it's triggering past it. traumas in victims and in survivors. So even if you are a survivor, your memories aren't gone. They're still there. Right, you just learn to deal with them. But these triggers are bringing them back to the surface again with mm. the same fears, the same traumas, and the same escape, the thoughts of escaping as before suicide if people haven't found resolution and restoration and a journey of recovery then it actually makes them feel even more hopeless and despairing we know that despair makes the heart sick and it's often it's this despair that causes someone to want to take their own life they see no way forward and yet we have a glaring way forward you know that we i i mean i am unquestionably a survivor but i'm i'm not even a survivor i'm a thriver i've learned what it is to move from being a victim to a survivor to thriving in life okay. i believe that that is the hand that is held out to every single victim to not just survive but also to learn what it is to thrive and we call upon governments and parliamentarians to join us in bringing that to fellow citizens brilliant very good point thriving um, and that's the fruits of the Holy Spirit, the fruits of the sacraments, the fruits of the church. Um, you can't thrive without that that fruit. You can't. That's the nourishment that we need to move on, not just put it behind you and move on, no, but to actually deal with it, pack it away, remove it, and move on and grow. Thanks, that's Peter. Right. And, and Salwa, you probably know this too, as you, as you said already, you deal with many people, that opportunity to be sympathetic, to have an understanding about life. You know, in, in, God does indeed, as you said earlier from Romans 8, he turns all things to good. All things, the greatest tragedies and traumas can be turned to good for those who love him in accordance with his will. Amen. And that's the message that we want to proclaim from the rooftops. Beautiful. Amen. Um, final words as we close Please here. share this video. Yeah. Make sure that it gets out there because you don't know who's suffering. I'm talking mm. to the public now. You have no idea who is going through past traumas, who is dealing with them. So just share it far and wise. There is someone out there that needs to hear this. 
someone out there who is just craving an opportunity to speak um, to help with their own healing journey. So please share this um, far and wide. Don't be ashamed and don't shame others while mm. you're doing mm. it. <laughs> like, that's important too. Don't make people feel guilty or ashamed of wanting to speak. That's the worst thing you could do because self-shame is enough. <laughs> but if I, you know, many people say to me, you know, how, how, what's the best way to deal with survivors? I said, just listen, love, and in the process, learn. They will teach you many, many things yeah. about the soul and the journey of the human soul. Thank you. That's thank great. you, James. God bless you. Well, um, thank you once again. I'm Shabal Raish. This is Salwa Elias. Um, until next time, God bless. God bless.